Good morning. Did you catch that last line? God would have to look outside of Israel to find somebody to establish his ways. The same is true in our culture today. God is looking for men and women who will be loyal to him and his ways that will stand outside of culture and set an example for everyone else they come into contact with. And the great call, and one of the things that we love to talk about here at New City Church is, will you be such a person, right? My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors. Good morning. Come on. Good morning. I like it. I'm good to be back. I'm ready to be back. You know, I've been gone. I took a little vacation. I finished my college. I am now, um, instead of Pastor Matt, I'm Master Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Jen's still getting used to calling me that at home. It's a little weird. I'm kidding. She does a great job of keeping me humble. She's up here right now going, you're out of your mind, bud. You're out of your mind. Our wives do that, right, man? They keep us grounded, right? Sometimes they kick us to the ground. Anyway, but it's good to be here. Uh, we, I want to start today. Uh, we're going to do two things before the teaching. We're going to spend some time in prayer, and then we're going to be, have a time of generosity as we give back to God. But I first want to pray for the moms and dads in the room who are, that have kids in school. So if you have a public school, private school, homeschool, if you're a mommy or a daddy or someone in school, I want you to go ahead and stand on up, right? There's going to be more than one person standing, so don't be ashamed or afraid, all right? All right, and we're going to pray for you, all right? We're not going to freak you out. This is important. And I also want to invite any of our teachers to stand uh, that are responsible for many hours of the day with our little ones. Is that cool? Awesome. Now, for those of you who are sitting down and are bold, I'm not going to make you talk, but I am going to ask you to touch somebody's shoulder, all right? So if you're bold and you want to help pray for a family, just find someone that's standing and come put your hand on one of their shoulders. Please don't grope them. That's weird, right? Put your hand on their shoulder. Everybody find somebody. Be brave. Uh, like, again, I'm not going to ask you to whisper in their ear. Just find somebody that's around. If you see a, a bunch of people around a bunch of people, go to somebody that's not there. All right? Now, if, you're, if you haven't been to church in a long time, you're like, this is weird. This is not weird. We are a people who really care about each other. And I like to sum it up like this. I'm going to use Mitchell back there as an example. If Mitchell walks in the door and I say, oh, there's Mitchell. Well, that's cool. I know his name. But when I say, hey, Mitchell, it makes all the difference. You know why? Because he knows that I know his name. And when you're here, listen, I want you. I'm not saying we know you yet, but it is our goal. One of our goals to get to know you and your story and what you're going through. So if you're wanting to hide, hide as long as you need to. But when you're ready to engage a people who want to walk and live life, in a different manner. I'm not talking a weird manner, right? But a different manner, the one that follows Jesus, then I, I pray that this would be a place that is intriguing to you. Here's what I want to pray. We're going to ask God to do only what God can do, and that's protect our kids when they're away at school, right? But also the charges for the mom and the dads in this room that our prayer would align, our actions would align with what we're going to pray. We're not just a church that asks God to do stuff. We're a church that wants to align our lives to what God's already doing. What do I mean in this context? You can't. You must not just drop your kids off at school and go about your life. Get to know their teachers. Get to know their classmates. Can I share with you how this plays out in my life this week? I have twin little girls, Allie and Christy. They're six. They're first graders. I took them to school this Wednesday for the first time, dropped them off. And I don't know if you're like me, but it freaks me out that I'm losing some control of what goes on in my daughter's lives, right? Luke, I ain't worried about him. He'll just fight you. But the girls I'm more concerned with, Luke's four. So I walked the girls to their class, and I found the, this is true, I found the little boy that was sitting closest to them. Now, some of you in the back can't see me. Jen doesn't even know, I don't know if she knows I did this. I kneeled down, 
And I got on the little boy's level. And I said, buddy, see that little pretty girl right there? She's mine. I'm not making this up. I did this, right? (laughs) I said, she's mine. And I love her more than anything. Will you do me a favor? Will you, hey, look at me. (laughs) Will you make sure that people are nice to her? And will you take care of her as you sit by her this year? (laughs) I said, I said, I'm watching. (laughs) And I do. You know how I know that? Because I'm going to engage my kid's classroom this year. And I ask you to follow our family's lead. Are we going to get it perfect? Not at all. But I refuse, and I ask you to follow me. I refuse to drop my kids off and let somebody else raise my children. Amen? So follow. We're going to mess it up along the way, all right? But together, we will make a greater impact. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we ask you to do only what you can do. Protect our kids at school. In all your wisdom, Lord, and this may gain some laughs, but I'm not trying to be funny. For our daughters, for those of us who have daughters in school, will you keep the mean, stupid boys away from them? Seriously, would you protect them and, 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 and surround them with the good young men in their classroom and in, at recess and at lunch? When they change classes, God, would you ordain who they're sitting beside so that they would be safe and secure? God, for those of us who have daughters who are older or in that age of dating, please, even more so, would you keep the mean, stupid boys away from them? Protect them, Father. For those of us with sons who are in school, may our sons set an example of what it looks like to be a little guy who follows the Lord. I pray for our sons and their emotions and their temperament. Sometimes it's hard for them to sit still for longer than 30 seconds. Father, would you give them the strength they need to be a great example for their teacher? May all of our children represent their family name well. Would they represent you well? And Father, for us, So many of us in this room are standing right now. God, would you allow us to align our actions with what we pray? Give us the energy, because I get tired too. Give us the vision for opportunities within our school. And Father, please show favor and bless our endeavors. We commit our ways to you. May you bless them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, please be seated, unless if you have a kid in Shawano or Neiman, Shawano Elementary or Neiman Elementary, would you stand, please, our Shawano and Neiman families? Just two? Is that it? Really? Nobody else? Shawano and Neiman. Awesome. So Morris family, this is my wife, Jen. I'm going to talk to us and you guys. Um, I invite you guys specifically. You can sit down because I don't make it awkward. But I do invite you with Shawano. The school right behind us is a school that we partner with. And um, it needs us, okay? And so I asked for you, I want us to connect after, after church sometime this week and kind of, if we can draft up. I'm a NASCAR fan, and cars go faster when they're behind another car, and it's called drafting. So I want to draft behind you, and sometimes I want you to draft behind us. Is that cool? So, awesome. We mean it here, right? Like, here's the deal. Like, if you're like, I don't know if I want to call this place my church home, I'm just checking you out. Here's the thing that Pastor Chris and I, and when we started this church, we ain't playing church. That was like a little motto. We're not playing church. Like, just so you know, as we grow and there's more numbers, we get way more excited. Uh, Like, butts and bucks aren't our goal. Our goal is that the gospel and the mission that Jesus has called us to is expressed and multiplied throughout all over our city, wherever God would allow us to go. And if you're looking for a place that is striving to equip you for the work of ministry, not to help you build my kingdom, listen, I don't want you helping me build my kingdom, right? I don't even know what that even means. I don't have a kingdom. 
I want to know what God has called you to do and how in the world do we partner together to see you be just do exactly what God is asking you to do within your family, within your workplace, within your community. Amen? Now, some of you are like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I don't even have a vision for what you just said. Then you need to be here. Because one of my responsibilities and one of the things I love doing is giving you vision for your life. Not me telling you what it will be, but giving you the tools, hopefully, for that you can seek the Lord and he can point your feet in a specific direction. Amen? And when I say amen, it's like the young people saying word, okay? There's a church word, word, like we're going to do this. Now, one of the ways that we power that, not the only way, but one of the ways we power that is through our generosity. So I'm going to invite our ushers to come forward at this time, and this is the time of the service. If you're new, you're checking us out, this is not for you. You just sit back and, and watch, I guess. But for those of us who call New City Church home, this is where we give out of our, our generosity. I'm not even going to say overflow, because some of us don't have overflow. But we give out of what we have so that we can continue to bless those outside these walls. If you've been to any other church in town, you know this. I'm not dogging churches. This is the reality. If you come here because it's the best show in town, you ain't been very many places. Right? Other churches got better lights, better stages. Right? We choose intentionally not to use all of our resources on this environment an hour on Sunday. We use these dollars outside of this wall. Can I tell you about one? Had a meeting this week with Rosie, who works at uh, uh, the uh, Atkins Museum in Kansas City. And we're going to partner with the Shawano Elementary sometime early spring next year. We're going to do a big cookout for the school. And then we're going to get all all the families that want to go on buses. And we're going to the uh, Nelson Atkins Museum. And parents that maybe don't ever get to do that with their kid, we're going to give a, a family day out, right? We were invited to be a part of that. That's a cool thing, right? When we're generous, we're able to do those kind of things. So it's cool. I like it. It's, it's little things, right? And so I want to pray and ask God to bless our generosity, and then we're going to dive into the Word. Lord, as we give, would you multiply it? And would you do uh, great works with uh, our resources that you've blessed us with? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's give together at this time. Yeah, Word. Thank you for that. Now, many of you may not know this. I uh, oftentimes assume you do, but, you know, a church is a nonprofit organization that runs solely on the tithes and offerings of its congregation. So we don't get a check from the government. We don't get a check from Pepsi, Coca-Cola, right? We don't have uh, whatever you call it, sponsors, if you will. And so thank you for choosing to give this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever done something in your past that you're ashamed of. Oh, come on. That's good, right? Now, you didn't even have to think about it. We just all know we've done stuff, right? We just all know. Like, Now, don't raise your hand on this time. But some of us, actually, I would say, if you're older than 18, everyone in this room, 18 and older, has done something that you hope I and the people around you never find out about. Word? And if you're with somebody who says, not me, then you need to be wary of that person because they're lying to you, right? I'm serious. You need to be careful of that. Now, I'm not saying they're not out there. I might have married one. But most of us are a lot more like me than they are my wife. We've got stuff in our past that we're not so excited about. Things that, that if, if you were to discover, you would like, ugh, gosh. And then we think about our family trees, right? Like, forget you being jacked up. What about, like, your grandparents? We will skip your mom and dad because we know they were, right? I mean, you got, anybody got crazy family tree stories? 
Yeah, today we're going to talk about family lineage, and, and here's kind of how I wanted to un, uh, begin unpacking that is uh, I'm not one to blame your life choices and my life choices on my parents, but what I will say is this, everyone in this room has moms and dads who had moms and dads who had moms and dads, and we were all brought up certain ways. Some of your parents were screamers when they fought. Some of your parents didn't fight at all. They just went in the room and like banged their head against a mirror. I don't know. They're very passive aggressive. Some of your parents were great with money. Some of your parents were horrible with money. Some of your parents were uh, parented in a certain way and, and did certain things. And here's what I'm getting to. Unless there is intentionality in changing and tweaking certain things, stuff decays on its own. It's a second law of thermodynamics, right? Anything left by itself will simply begin to decay. You're like, oh man, I don't know if that's accurate. Okay, if I do this. Anybody got leftovers in their fridge? Leave them. Just leave them in your fridge for six months, and at six months from today, go and pull back the tinfoil, pull back the plastic wrap, and uh, wrap, not wrap, uh, plastic wrap, and see if your leftovers have improved or worsened. Now, if you're looking for furry food, then it's improved. So don't believe me, tell, don't let your kids, don't remind your kids this week to clean their room. See if it gets cleaner or more messy, right? You know where that one's going. You don't take three weeks, take three hours in my family, right? Don't brush your teeth. Don't put on under armor deodorant. Don't do the dishes. Just let stuff that you have in life go and see if they get better or worse. And I'm being silly. We all know that this stuff's going to get worse, not better. And the same thing is true in our lives. Spiritually, if we don't intentionally get involved, intentionally uh, allow something to influence us, we will simply decay. Now, I don't know if you know this stat. It's a new stat, but 10 out of 10 people die. Did you know that? Like we're all headed to it one day, right? We're, 10 out of 10 people are going to die. But what we do between the two dates, between the birth date and the death date, wow, that, that we have some power on. That we have some influence toward. Today we're going to be uh, teaching out of chapter 9 of this book right here. It's called The Story. And the story is the chronological narrative of the Bible. If you have a Bible and you brought it with you this morning, your Bible is not in chronological order. And if you've ever read that Bible like I've read my Bible, you've probably said at some point, I don't get this, it's too complicated, I don't understand it. That doesn't make you weird, that makes you normal. What the story does is it puts your Bible in chronological order. It is not a paraphrase, it's the New International Version translation. And the common response that I get from people who are reading this are, wow, I didn't know the Bible could make sense. And it's telling the story of how God started something to how God is finishing what he started. Today we're in chapter 9. We're going to be looking at the life of Ruth. If you don't have the story, we've sold all of our copies, but I hear that Amazon's got a ton of them. So go to Amazon.com or your local bookstore, and you can buy one of these. They're fairly cheap. If you like to read online like I do or through an e-reader, it's even cheaper. If you don't have one, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Ruth. It's a short book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. And that's what we're going to be teaching from this morning. So that's the story of Ruth and Boaz, the two main figures of our story today. And at surface level, it's a great story. Like, for example, your kids in Kids City, both preschool and elementary side, are learning that uh, about kindness. They're learning how Boaz was kind to Ruth and God was kind. And I mean, it's, it's a story about kindness. But when you begin to connect some dots, I think uh, what you discover is the family tree is actually very interesting. And I want to talk to you today how God redeems, how God reconciles, not erases. This is important. If you think God erases your past mistakes, he's not Mr. Clean Magic Eraser. God redeems and reconciles your past to influence your present and to drastically change your future. If you want your children to have a better life. And I'm not talking about a bigger boat and a nicer house. I'm talking about peace 
and an understanding of who God is, it starts with you, mom and dad. It starts with you, grandma and grandpa. It starts with you, aunt and uncle, cousin. It, it starts with you, brother and sister. And so I wanted us to dive into the story. And if you remember the old guy on radio, Paul Harvey, he'd say the rest of the story. Well, I want to tell you the rest of the story. And to do so, we got to look at Genesis chapter 38 and Genesis chapter 19. So let's start in Genesis chapter 38, and here we meet a guy named Judah. Now, actually, we don't meet a guy named Judah. Uh, if you've read the Bible at all, you will, might uh, recognize Judah as the oldest brother of Joseph. Joseph was the guy that got thrown in the well by his brothers, sold off to Potiphar in Egypt, and through a crazy amount of circumstances, becomes second in control of all of Egypt, saves the nation during a severe famine, and actually is the person God uses, this Israelite kid who becomes second in command as the Savior, as the people uh, that will become the Israelite nation, the Jews, the Hebrews, same folks, they come to, to Egypt through Joseph. Now, when Joseph was thrown into the well and to be sold into slavery, there was a specific brother who kind of recommended that, and it was a guy named Judah. And Judah went back to the father along with his brothers with the cloak that they took off of David. I mean, they took off of Joseph and they had smeared some animal blood on it. And they said, hey, father, do you recognize this? And the father knew who it belonged to. And they allowed the father, Judah and his brothers allowed the father to believe that their brother, his son, favorite son, by the way, was killed. And the dad was just destroyed emotionally, brokenhearted. Right after this, Judah is kind of demoted from his position in the family. He kind of leaves his brothers, and he moves to a new area, and there he marries. And he has three sons, and the first one's name is Ur. Look at your neighbor and say Ur. Cool Bible name, right? Name your next child that, Ur. But actually don't, because Ur was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord zapped him dead. Now, before Ur died, he had married a girl named Tamar, but yet they didn't have any kids. And so here, all of a sudden, you have Tamar with a deceased husband who doesn't have any children. Now, you might think in our culture, a big deal, she can just remarry, but not in that culture. In that culture, she wasn't released to go and kind of start over. What happened was the next brother in line would come and have sexual relationships with his deceased brother's wife, get her pregnant, and give his deceased brother a child that would be in his name, that would keep the inheritance and the land and his name going throughout the generations. But this second brother was a little bit of a stinker. And although he chose to have sex with Tamar, he didn't fulfill the responsibility and took actions to make sure that she wouldn't get pregnant. Now, if you think the Bible is a PG book, read chapter 19, and you'll see what he did. And what he did made God mad, and like Urs, God zapped him, and the second brother died. Note to self, if you don't want to be zapped, don't be wicked. But all of a sudden, you have Tamar, still childless, still kind of stuck in this cultural norm of what am I going to do? And she's doing nothing but getting older, still without a little baby. Judah had a third son, a little bitty dude. Judah said, if you'll wait, when he gets older tomorrow, I'll give him to you, and he can carry on my deceased son's name. But he was actually, the Bible says, afraid because his two sons had died through their behavior. And so he kept the youngest son from her. And he even became aware to Tamar as the boy got old that the father, Judah, had not given him over to her to carry on the family. So she did something that you might say, well, that's kind of a seductive or uh, sneaky, but she actually did something that was um, responsible for her deceased husband and a great deal of loyalty. She dressed up like a temple prostitute. And she went and she stood in a particular area where her father-in-law, Judah, 
Ur's dead. The brother's dead. Now the little guy, you're not giving to me. I've got to carry on this family name. I've got an obligation. The only other person that can get me pregnant in this social norm and in God's eyes, and it'd be okay, is you, Judah, the father-in-law, the father of these boys. But so what she does is she gets in costume. And she's dressed as a temple prostitute. And Judah's wife has died, and he's off to do some business. And on the way, she goes, whatever that she did, right? And she got his attention. And Judah comes over, and she offers to have sexual relationship with him. And Judah's like, what's it going to cost me? She goes, what you got? He said, I'll give you a goat. Right, ladies? Come on, a goat. Right? He says, well, I don't have it on me, which we never do. Right? And so, <laughs> and so she says, well, until you can give me the goat, why don't you give me your staff, your cloak, and your ring? So he does. Those are all things of authority. She gives, he gives them those. They have sexual relationship. And uh, he goes on about his life. The next day, he goes to his assistant. And he says, hey, can you take this goat to this temple prostitute? That's what I owe her and get my stuff back. Well, the assistant goes... He can't find her, and he asks around, and there's no such thing as a temple prostitute. They don't know. So he goes back to Judah and says, hey, uh, dude, I don't know. Did you make this up? And he's like, no, it really happened. Three months, three months follow. The same assistant comes back to Judah and says, hey, we got a problem. Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she's pregnant. He says, she's running your family name. So Judah says, we've got to kill her. This is the law, capital punishment. She, she went outside of our family to get a son, so she's going to be burned. And so they get the wood, and they're ready to light it, and they bring Tamar to them. And she has with her the cloak and the staff and the ring. And she says, hey, Judah, do you recognize these? The same thing that Judah asked his father when he had his, Joseph's, his brother Joseph's coat. Do you recognize this? And this is a moment where Judah can do something different than he did before. Previously, when it was with Joseph, he let the lie slide, and he let his dad think something. Will he do the same thing this time? No, the Bible says that he says in front of all of these people to Tamar, you are more righteous than I. And she gives him back his authority, the cloak, the staff, the ring. He saves her life. He is redeemed. She is redeemed as she now has a child. And she gives birth actually to twins. Now, the cool thing is the father-in-law doesn't have any more sexual relationship with his daughter-in-law. Tamar gives birth to twin boys. One of them's name is Perez. And Perez is going to have a lot of kids. And down his family tree, all of a sudden you see this guy by the name of Salmon, S-A-L-M-O-N. Uh, sometimes it reads Solomon, but it's not King Solomon. It's Spy Solomon. This Solomon was a guy who was selected by uh, Joshua to go check out this great city, Jericho. And so Solomon and his buddy, they go and they sneak into the city and they inhabit not a fake temple prostitute, but they encounter a real prostitute by the name of Rahab. And Rahab is the first person that I believe you see in scripture who is not an Israelite, not a Jew, not a Hebrew, but is a Gentile that converts to the customs of God and the ways that he's called these people out to live. And she helps these spies and they save her life. But it even goes more than that. Solomon ends up marrying this prostitute Rahab. And together, they have a little boy. And do you want to guess what his name is? Boaz. Boaz comes from a womb of a mom who was a prostitute. Someone who has a, a, a past maybe that she is not so proud of, but through her loyalty to, to, to following God and becoming a, 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 a convert to the ways of God, God redeems her past and gives her a son, as we saw in the story, as a person who shows extreme kindness. Just as his mother, the prostitute, did despise, he shows kindness to people that he encounters, specifically Ruth. Now, what about Ruth's family tree? 
Well, to find out this, you've got to go to Genesis chapter 19. And in Genesis 19, you discover uh, the story of Abraham's uh, nephew, which name was Lot. And when Abraham and Lot split ways because they had so many uh, cattle and uh, livestock that they couldn't feed off of the same portion of, portion of land, Lot goes to an area called Sodom. And there, man, it's just a really evil and wicked place really evil and wicked. And we're going to dive more into these two chapters, 38 and 19 this week in story groups. So if you're, you know, want to come and kind of learn up more, because there's a lot more details that are so interesting. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, we have story groups each of those nights. You can go online and find them, but I would love for you to come and learn up. It's a safe environment for you to learn up and, and get a little smarter in the scriptures. They live in an area called Sodom. It's wicked, and God decides to destroy it. Before he destroys it, he sends some help to get Lot and his relatives out of that city. But Lot's son-in-laws don't want to go. They want to stay in the city. They don't believe it. They think Lot's being crazy. So his wife and his two daughters are rescued out of the city. On the way out of the city, the Bible says that Lot's wife, her heart yearned for the ways of Sodom, and so God killed her. She turned into a pillar of salt. Kind of a weird way to go. But now you have Lot and his two daughters. And this is where the story gets really weird. Instead of Lot taking his two daughters to the nearest town so that his daughters could marry and have children because like Tamar, they are both childless. And they have no way to carry on their father's name. He takes them to a cave. And so now you have a dad in a cave with his two daughters, and his daughters are concerned that how are we going to continue our family? So they come up with a plan, and in their mind, they're just trying to do the best they can to get, uh, to get offspring to carry on the family name. And so they get some alcohol, and they get their father drunk two separate nights. And on two separate nights, the daughters have sexual relationship with their father. And by this uh, action, both of the daughters get pregnant. And the first daughter, the oldest daughter, has a son, and she names him Moab. And Moab means, the name means from father. Can you imagine growing up? Now, you may not know what your name means, but in that day and time, names, carried, names meaning carried a great deal of weight. And so can you imagine growing up and, hey, what's your name? I'm Moab, oh, father. A little weird? That may be somebody in this room's story. I don't know, but it's not a story that you'd be proud of, that you would want to keep quiet, that, that your dad's your grandpa, and that, that your, your very existence is, is built on twisted love and broken kindness because the story says that uh, the girls got their dad drunk and, and took advantage of him in his stupor. But when you read the original text, when it talks about this, the text puts three dots above some of the wording. And those three dots is this wink, wink, nod, nod kind of language. That although they got their father drunk, Lot knew what was going on and he did nothing to stop it. Why would Lot not take his daughters to the city where they could remarry? No, he takes his daughters to the cave knowing with intentions that they've got to continue. It was built on twistedness and broken love. Now, I don't know if you read the story this week, chapter 9, or if you've read the story of Ruth, but oftentimes Ruth is described as this, Ruth the Moabite. Luke. Ruth's great, 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 great family members were established from an incestuous relationship where a daughter and a father produced a child, which led to the nation, the Moabites, which were faithful, consistent, evil enemies of Israel throughout the entire Old Testament. On one side of the family tree, you have Boaz, the son of a prostitute named Rahab. On the other side of the family tree, you have Ruth, who is a descendant of a tribe of people that are completely produced from an incestuous relationship in a cave. Would you agree with me that both sides of that family tree have some shadiness, have some brokenness, have some things that need to be reconciled? Well, let's now look at the story of Ruth and Boaz and what's going on. 
We see in the scriptures that Ruth uh, stays with Naomi, makes this commitment to her, and Naomi brings Ruth back to the land of Israel. But you have to remember, Naomi understands the way of the Moabites because that's where she's lived with her husband for quite some time. She gets that culture. Ruth was raised in a culture that was completely in direct opposition to the ways of God. In Ruth's culture, it was very normal for the women to use their body to get what they want, to get what they needed. That was kind of their place and, and, and their stature and how things just happened. It was seduction, similar to the temple prostitute, similar to the daughters in the cave. And so Ruth is raised in this, in this just, just how it is. And so it's really interesting. The conversation that takes place between her and Boaz at midnight on the threshing room floor. And the story begins in Ruth, uh, page, uh, chapter 3, but page 125 of the story, where Naomi pulls Ruth aside, and you saw this in the video, and she says, wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let uh, him, him being Boaz, know that you are there until he has uh, finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And so she gets all dressed up and she does all the things Naomi says. And she goes in the middle of the night. And yes, like the video, she startles uh, uh, Boaz. And look what Boaz says when he is awo- awakened with Ruth at his feet. He says, who are you? Now catch this. In that moment, Ruth could have said, I'm nobody. Let's have fun. That's my seductive voice, by the way, right? That's how I, in my mind, how she said it, right? You laugh. It's amazing we have three kids. <laughs> That's really not my seductive. Anyway, I don't have a seductive voice. She could have said, it doesn't matter who I am, right? Let's just have some fun. And she could have, like the temple prostitute, like the daughters in the cave, she could have used her body to get what she needed because Ruth, like the others, were childless. And she needed to be redeemed. She needed somebody from the bloodline to step in and marry her and give her a child. But she was running out of luck and running out of time. And she could have used her body to get what she wanted, but she did not do this. I think, women in the room, this is a beautiful story in Scripture where you see women being lifted up from just being an object to a person who makes decisions and has leadership. And Boaz says, who are you? And instead of saying it doesn't matter, she says, I am your servant Ruth. Notice what she says. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now, that might be a little odd language, but I want to take you back two pages to page 123 of the story. And this is an encounter that we find where Ruth is in the field and Boaz has recognized, like his great, great relative Judah, he recognizes some kindness going on in the life of Ruth because she's taking care of Naomi, her mother-in-law, when she could have left like the other daughter-in-law, but she stayed. And he's noticing now how Ruth is not only providing for herself, but she's providing for her mother-in-law and showing great care. And so uh, Boaz speaks, right? This is one of their first meetings. He speaks towards her kindness and he says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be rich rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Notice this statement here. Listen, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He sees her in the field and he, he prays for her like we prayed for you earlier. And Boaz prayed that God would do only, connect the dots with what we prayed earlier for our kids. Boaz prayed that God would do only what God could do, that he would uh, spread his wings and that under whose wings you have come to take refuge, that God would provide for Ruth. That's what he said to her. 
But at midnight, in the cover of darkness, when he says, Ruth, or he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. She brings back up his words, but in different language. Notice what she says. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are the guardian redeemer of my family. She's saying the second part of our prayer. Hey, Boaz, I know that earlier you prayed that God would spread his wings over me and cover me, but I'm asking you to do what you can do. In the scriptures, <coughs> that word, your garment, your cloak, the corner of your garment, it's the same translation as the wings of an eagle. She's saying, the exact, she's saying, Boaz, listen, I thank you for praying that God would cover me, but I'm asking you to do what you can do. You're the redeemer in our family, only you. Like you're one of the few options I have to actually redeem me. So thank you for praying that God would cover me with my wings, but I'm asking you to take your wing and spread it around me and you redeem me and you cover me and you help me get out of this situation. And Boaz, in that moment, this is beautiful. It doesn't say, okay, let's get this on. No, no, he says, okay, but we're gonna do it right. Go home. Don't let anybody see that you were here. And the next morning, Boaz gathers the leaders. He gives opportunity for the other redeeming guy to step in and buy the land and marry Ruth. He doesn't want to do it. And so Boaz says, then I will. And he takes, he takes Ruth to be his wife, and together they have a child. Now, I wanted to give you uh, the family tree real quick. The family tree is this, uh, just kind of to bring up what we talked about. On one side, you have Judah and Tamar, and down the family line, you see Solomon and Rahab, and they have Boaz. Then you see Lot and his oldest daughter, and they, through their family line, you get Ruth. And then Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed. And Obed had a boy named Jesse. And Jesse had a lot of sons, but this guy Samuel, and we're going to read about this in a few weeks. Samuel comes to Jesse, this prophet, and he says, one of your boys is going to be king. And he gets all of his sons, and Samuel's like, no, this is not the one. Oh, there's that little dude out in the field. Now, I got a picture of um, Ruth and Boaz. I like this picture. I found it this week. It's Boaz noticing Ruth in the fields and speaking to her, praying over her. They have Obed eventually. Obed has Jesse. And then Jesse gives birth to this guy named David, his youngest son. And David grows up to slay the, the, the giant Goliath. I got a picture of him holding Goliath's head. I thought it was a manly picture, right? I'm going to blow it up and put it on my kid's wall. <laughs> Just kidding. Jen won't let me. But David would slay Goliath, gain fame, and, and take the throne following King Saul and be this great, great king. And if we could go back to the slide of the family tree. Some 28 generations later, based on Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, you see that through David's line, through the line of an ancestral relationship, and through the relationship of a prostitute and a spy, you get our Messiah, Jesus. Do you see how God connects the dots and how God's telling a story? And here's the transferable principle that I would love for you to catch today. What was it about Ruth that got her to change her culture, to change her thinking, to change her ways, and to bring attention to it? I want us to go back to the story of Ruth in the last scripture for this morning. Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, one of the first conversations we see between Ruth and Naomi, where Naomi's like, Ruth, you can go. I release you. You're released. And Ruth says this, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, but if ever so severely, if even death separates from you, from me. What is she saying? 
She's saying, Naomi, I am turning my back on what I know, my culture, my upbringing, and I am going to align my life with the story of God. I'm going to align. I'm not going to look back on my past and all the things I wish I would have done different or the things I wish I could have changed. I'm going to look to what God has called me to do, and I'm going to align my lower story, all of the things that are going to come in my life, I'm going to align them with God's ways. And your people will be my people. What, is that? what does that even mean? Here's what it means. None of us in this room are good alone. Listen, I like being alone, but I can tell you something. I'm no good being alone, and you're no good being alone. Some of us in this room, it is critical. Back up. All of us in this room, it is critical that we walk with other like-minded people who are pursuing the cross. Too many of you for far too long have said this, I wish I wouldn't have just done that. Well, duh, and you'll keep saying that until you begin to surround yourself, not with people who are out getting drunk, not with people who are out doing drugs, not with those people who are out just using their body to make themselves feel good. You will do those things that you will always do. Um, This is not brain surgery. This is just simple stuff. You will always do, always do what your friends do. Your people will be my people. For some of you, can I just tell you, you need to align yourself with a church who is following Jesus. If it's not this one, that's fine. Find another one. There's lots of them. But you need to be a part of a collective who is pushing you and holding you accountable. Not to be perfect. Oh my gosh, if if the qualifications is perfect, I need to resign right now. But it's to be a person who is striving to be loyal to the things of God. Notice what Ruth said. Your people will be my people. I'm not going to hang out with those Moabite women that I used to know. And your God will be my God. What is she saying? I will be loyal to the God. I will be. Now, what does that look like for us? It means that we're loyal to God through the relationship of Jesus Christ. The way that you and I flesh this out and play this out in the scriptures is that you and I show our loyalty by following the example that Jesus gave for us. Now, some of you are like, I don't really know what that means. That's fine. That's why it's a part to be of a collective that is talking a lot about Jesus and not about denomination or religious rules. I want you to know about Jesus. Jesus teaches us a new way to be human. He gives us new opportunity, a different way of thinking. But the man didn't just live. The man went to the cross. This God in the flesh, he went to the cross. He died for your sin and my sin. Now, this is important for some of us in this room because that stuff that you hope nobody finds out, listen, the scriptures teach us, the gospel proclaims that Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, went to the cross and he died for that very thing that you're most ashamed of. And it's been nailed to the cross with him. Why in the world do you keep taking it down? Why do you keep carrying it around and feeling the guilt and the shame? Allow, accept the forgiveness of Jesus. Accept him, his gift on the cross so that he might reconcile. Again, he doesn't erase it. He reconciles and he redeems your broken past and he positions it for his future glory. And the great thing about our God It's not that he went to a cross, that's wonderful, but that the man didn't stay dead. That on the third day, through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus resurrected from the grave. And the God we follow is not a guy that's somewhere in a tomb somewhere that nobody knows about. Our Jesus resurrected, and he was seen for over 40 days by over 500 people. He ascended to the Father, and he said, I want you to go, and I want you to do what I've taught you to do, because one day I'm coming back for my church. I'm coming back for my collective. I'm coming back for my people who have been loyal to my ways and to my teaching. Men and women of God, will you follow the example of Ruth? And will your proclamation be, hey, Matt, your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. This past week, we were talking through this sermon, and Pastor Chris was like, man, 
I'd love for, how do you get it back more on Jesus? And I thought, oh, I got an idea. So I went and I found some of my favorite paintings and pictures of Jesus. And I put them to one of my favorite songs. And during this video, during this music, I asked there would be a time of worship, of quiet reflection. As you gaze upon interpretations of the life of Jesus, but don't get so caught up in the artwork that you miss this. What is the Holy Spirit prompting your heart to do right now? Who is your people? And who is your God? And as you reflect on that, let's watch this together. I believe in this uh, powerful name of Jesus. Like the word, the name Matt doesn't do much for us. But the name Jesus? I'm not saying that's what he looked like. But I love that picture. And my question is this. What is Jesus? Not a church, not a pastor. What is Jesus asking of you right now? Here's how we're closing this out today. This altar is open. Me and other men and women who love you and want to welcome you into the kingdom of God are going to be here to pray for you in the front of the room, in the back of the room. If God's saying to you, hey, you're good, then you go. But if you know what today is the day that like Ruth, you must confess, you must profess that your people will be my people and your God will be my God, then I would say to you, please don't leave. You come and do what Jesus is asking you to do. Amen. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. I'm going to pray. Some of you are going to leave. Some of you are going to come pray. It's your choice. Amen. One brother, one daughter-in-law went back to Moab. One daughter-in-law said, Ruth, no, 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 no. I am going with you. This church is following Jesus. Father, these next few moments are yours. I'm done for this morning till five o'clock. I pray your Holy Spirit would have the freedom to call people into the relationship that changes lives, that redeems, that reconciles. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Church, you come and pray for the rest. Have a blessed day. Talk to you later.